0: Hello traders, analysts, and other followers of the energy industry. My name is Corey Stewart, and I'm a senior analyst with Refinitiv, your go-to partner for energy analysis and data. As always, I'm here with Jim Mitchell, Refinitiv's head of America's Oil Analysts. Last week, Jim and I took a dive into the decoupling of US-China relations and its impact on the America's energy markets. We're continuing continue with that theme today, and we'll be hitting on what's for sale, who the potential buyers could be, And as I'm sure that some of you already have guessed, China plays a large part in this analysis. So, Jim, can you expand on China's relationships in Canada and maybe touch on what might be for sale?
1: Sure. So, as I like to do, let's start on the east side of Canada. The come-by-chance refinery, which is a 130,000-barrel-a-day refinery, has changed hands a few times in the last 20 years. I'm certain everyone has looked at the economics of this refinery and tried to make it work. But being where it is, it's close to Hibernia and Hebron crude grades, but disadvantaged in that the refined products will have to travel a significant distance to find uh, some users. With no strategic benefit to China or really any other foreign investor, Irving Oil is the most appropriate owner of this refinery and can gain some synergies by working with its now big brother, the St. John Refinery, which is a 320000 barrel a day refinery. Moving over to central Canada, Shell has tried in the past to sell the Sarnia refinery, a 75,000 barrel refinery. It's north of Detroit on the southern tip of Lake Huron. This refinery is the smallest of the three refineries in Sarnia. Any interest China, or anyone else for that matter, would have in this refinery would be to be a product supplier in the Great Lakes region There's some significant barrier to entry, as BP, Marathon, Suncor, Husky Imperial, and Valero all have refineries on the Great Lakes. Finally, Husky recently sold the Prince George Refinery in British Columbia. This is a relatively small refinery at 12,000 barrels a day, and mainly serves its local region. So again, no real strategic benefit for China. So switching over to the oil side... The exodus of non-Canadian companies from the oil sands is well documented. Devon, Kinder Morgan, Conoco, Shell, Marathon, and Equinor have all sold oil production assets in the last four years. In fact, $150 billion worth of projects have been canceled, with Tech Resources Frontier Mine acting as a referendum for Ottawa's interest in Canada's biggest industry. With all that said... CNUC, China National Offshore Oil Corporation, does have 3,000 employees and oil sands production just south of Fort McMurray in Alberta. They've had that since the Nexen acquisition in 2013, which is about the time the Belt and Road Initiative was just starting to be talked about. PetroChina has also been operating in Alberta since 2010 under the name Dover Operating Corp. They have oil and gas production, as well as some pipeline interest. I don't believe this has anything to do with the Belt and Road Initiative, although it could if they can figure out how to get the oil to the coast. If that happens, we could see substantial investment by China in Canada's west coast.
0: You know, something tells me investment in the United States is a bit more complicated.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. The U.S. Treasury Department has an agency called CEPIUS, Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. It was set up in 1950 as a way to protect defense contracting and technology in the response to the budding Cold War with Russia. A recent act was passed October 13th of 2018 called FIRMA, Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act. And then there was a bit of a broadening of the act February 13th of this year. The act applies to any potential foreign-owned in investments that produce, design, test, manufacture, fabricate, or develop critical technologies, own, operate, manufacture, supply, or service critical infrastructure. There's also a selection, a section on collecting sensitive personal data of U.S. citizens and a bit on real estate, but that's beyond the scope of this podcast. The act gives the U.S. Treasury the right to review, red decline, any transaction by a foreign owner. The U.S. president also has summary rights to decline any transaction. So why do I bring this up? In 2005, CNUC tried to buy Unical, an oil company in California, for $18.5 billion. They ended up pulling their bid before Cepheus made a decision. CNUC knew what was coming. More recently, in November of 2016, Rosneft loaned Petavesa, the parent of Sitko, $1.5 billion. Petavesa put up 49.9% stake in Sitko as collateral. Well, you can all guess what happened here. In October of 2019, Petavesa defaulted on the loan when Rosneft, whose majority owner is the Russian government, moved to take ownership of Sitgo. Cepheus said, oh, I don't think so. These two events, and many more that are less public, resonate in foreign investors' minds when they seek investment in the United States. Allies of the U.S., like Canada and Israel, both have refineries in the U.S., as does Saudi Arabia. Needless to say, 100% ownership by Chinese companies in oil production or refineries in the U.S. will be fraught with regulatory risks. Well, let me come back to that in a minute. I know of 10 refineries in the U.S. that are either openly on the selling block or have been recently. The two from Shell, uh in Mobile and Atacordas in Seattle, as well as Delta's Trainer Pennsylvania Refinery, Blue Dolphin's Nixon Texas Refinery, Exxon's Billings Montana Refinery, Calumet's Great Falls Montana Refinery, And two from Marathon, one in Salt Lake City and one in Kenai, Alaska. Finally, CVR's MidCon refineries in Coffeyville, Kansas and Winwood, Oklahoma. So one one deal was done in 2019. Chevron bought Pasadena refining in the Houston area. In 2020, there have been two deals done with PBF buying Shell Martinez, which is a San Francisco Bay refinery. And Delix selling Bakersfield, California to Global Clean. So why do I bring this up? There are deals to be had. China investors have shied away from these investments for Cepheus reasons, but also all of these refineries have at least one of the items um, to deal with. For example, they're now in unfavorable locations uh, and or poor margins, or poor access to crude. So this is this is to say that China isn't already invested in the American oil industry. In fact, their investment predates the Belt and Road Initiative by 20 years. So let's start with CNPC, China National Petroleum Corp, along with their trading arm PetroChina. CNPC has about 100 employees and about a $30 million business based here in Houston. It's mostly energy-focused. PetroChina used to have a really big, beautiful office in the western side of Houston, but has receded in the last few years. They do still have some relationships with uh, companies like Shell that will keep them active in Texas and Louisiana for a while. Sinochem has a trading desk that trades their equity crudes. Uh, Their equity crudes are Vesconia, which is Colombian, Brazilian Peregrino, and Ecuadorian Napo. They are also a 40% investor alongside Permian Goliath Pioneer Natural Resources in their Wolfcamp shale. Cyanocam's portion is about 20,000 barrels a day and is marketed by Pioneer. Sinopec, via their trading arm Unipec, has been in Houston for 20 years. At one point... Unipac was a large, very active merchant trader that traded all the refined products in the the U.S. area, as well as export some some product. Now their primary focus is LNG. So this brings us to CNUC. Certainly the biggest of the Chinese oil companies, and has mentioned previously, no stranger to Cepheus. But they have found a way to make it work. And that way is partnerships. Scenic has 200,000 net acres in Eagleford and 200,000 net acres in Colorado and Wyoming. The potential problem with this investment is their partner, Chesapeake Energy, who is very close to bankruptcy, and in fact missed uh, coupon payments on two of their notes uh, just today. So here's where this gets interesting. The largest debtor of Chesapeake is Franklin Resources. Who has a, a long-established relationship and likely partially funded by, yeah, you guessed it, PetroChina. If Chesapeake does file bankruptcy, the ownership legal battle is going to be a twisted mess. Beyond that, CNOOC has a 21% interest; Shell has the other 79% in the Appomattox platform. Cenex portion of. The production is about 37,000 barrels a day. Scenic also has a 25% interest in the Stampede platform. The other three partners, with Hess being the operator, Chevron and Equinor, all four of them have a 25% ownership stake. The portion of the production of each partner is about 20,000 barrels a day.
0: And Mexico is a whole different animal altogether.
1: Yeah, you got that right, brother. The relationship between Mexico and China dates back to the late 1500s, with formal relations starting in 1899. The relationship saw steady, albeit sporadic, growth through the next 100 or so years, up until 2009 in the swine flu epidemic, which was thought to have started in Mexico. What China did was quarantine 70 Mexicans, which the Mexican government was not happy about. Relations were chilly. Up until President Trump was elected in 2016, by 2016, China's Belt and Road Initiative was well underway, and this provided an opportunity for China and Mexico to seize the opportunity. Among other things, China's Beijing Automotive Industry Holdings Company invested $2 billion in a fully contained auto production facility in Veracruz, Mexico fully contained everything from sheet metal stamping through final assembly. So earlier this year, the Bank of China and the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, the IDBC, invested $600 million in the Dos Bocos refinery in President Obrador's home state of Tabasco. If you're not familiar with this project, it's an $8 billion project, $340,000 barrel-a-day coking refinery. The refinery is expected to to produce 170,000 barrels a day of gasoline and 120,000 barrels a day of diesel. So this is exactly the kind of project China is looking for when it started the Belt and Road Initiative. This refinery is central to President Obrador's passion to make Pemex great again. It will dramatically lessen the, the reliance on American gasoline and diesel imports. So for a relatively small investment, China embeds itself directly in the center of Mexico's energy resurgence. It's a brilliant move. I suspect there will be more investments in this refinery. But perhaps more importantly, the IDBC is now in a position to finance the production of the Zama oil field and related pipelines and storage tanks, as well as the build-out of the Selena Cruz port. This is yet to come. So, Corey, I understand you're coming to us from a different location today.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was supposed to be. Not South America, but to visit family where I could throw a rock and hit the Rio Grande. We'll go soon enough and do our part to support gasoline demand. But anyway, let me start off today with Venezuela. First things first, uh, two of the Greece-based operators who recently had their tankers sanctioned by the U.S. for transporting Venezuelan oil are keeping away from the country and even Petrobras is now refusing to charter tankers that have operated in Venezuela in the last 12 months, unless they can explicitly show they had a license to do so from OFAC. I'm watching this, and OFAC has relaxed sanctions on some operators, but all in all, this is becoming a real problem for Venezuela. May Venezuelan crude production was around 500,000 barrels per day, a year-over-year decrease of about 200,000 barrels a day. As I mentioned before, tanks are filling up. So much so that with tank tops approaching, a lack of outlets for exports, and suppressed global demand, the petrol PR upgrader has been taken down. Recent estimates put Venezuelan crude production between 300 and 350,000 barrels a day. In keeping with our theme today, China is a big player in Venezuela. Let's break this down. Once upon a time, Venezuela was the wealthiest Latin American nation. But after Chavez became president in 1999, the country began diversifying its oil trade to Asia, and by 2002, China had already made several multi-billion dollar loans for oil deals. In the 10-year period prior to 2018, China had provided more than $60 billion in financing to Venezuela, which equals around 40% of the total that China lit to all of Latin America. And then, in 2018, Maduro publicly supported China's Belt and Road Initiative and signed 28 bilateral trade deals with the nation. Since Maduro took over in 2013, China has not extended any additional lines of credit to Venezuela, but has renewed some that were pre-existing. And Of the over $60 billion extended prior, it is estimated that nearly $20 billion remains outstanding. Some believe that China's support of Maduro is nothing more than one of recognition of sovereignty. In other words, it's not going to support the U.S. meddling in the affairs of a sovereign nation because it means that the U.S. is justified to meddle in the affairs of China. But the simple fact is this for China to truly see the remainder of Venezuela's loans repaid, the regime change needs to occur there. And then, perhaps, the China Venezuela relationship will not only mean repayment of past debt, but will once again be ripe for Chinese investment, be it in energy, infrastructure, technology, whatever. Now, we've talked about this before, but I'll say it again. Despite the US's clamping down on those exporting oil from Venezuela, Cruda still continued to make its way to China. Perhaps that will soon come to an end, but for now, it's something I will continue to watch.
1: Yeah, watch indeed. What's your take on China's relationship with Brazil?
0: Well, that's an interesting question. So, <clears throat> Brazil, Brazil's President Bolsonaro has been called the chief imitator and a close ally of President Trump. And during his year-and-a-half term, he's made strides to develop relationships with the U.S. and its allies. He's lost a lot of support because of his handling of the coronavirus, but other than that, what's difficult to ignore is Brazil's relationship with China. By a significant margin, China is Brazil's largest trading partner. Of Brazil's $225 billion worth of exports in 2019, 28% made their way to China, with the second biggest partner being the U.S. at 13.3%, which equates to $29.7 billion. This was less in the way of the total twenty eight teen exports that we talked about last time but if you recall most of brazil's agriculture aka soybean exports go to china and since the u.s china trade war started nearly half of brazilian crude oil exports made their way directly to china so let's think about this just for a second latin america's largest economy the ninth largest economy in the world exports are roughly one-third beholden to china and it doesn't end there. Petrobras leases crude storage at Chinese ports, two and a half million barrels worth the last time I looked. CNPC and CNUC have a presence in the Buzios and elsewhere, and Sinopec is in the neighborhood too. When Petrobras put eight of its refineries up for sale, something we covered a couple weeks ago, China was an interested buyer, but then of course the world fell apart. Now given the relationship prior to the outbreak, I'd say that we can expect for the China-Brazil relationship to flourish as the world starts to reopen, and for there to be potential for that influence to spread into other sectors. Of course, oil will be our focus.
1: Yeah. So I understand that China is spreading its influence in other ways?
0: That is absolutely right. So, Jim and I do oil, but we've both been in the business long enough to see the overlap with oil and the energy complex as a whole. I mean, we've seen companies like Shell diversify into power-gen space. And I won't go into deep detail. We're seeing that happen in South America. Sempra Energy sold its 83.6% stake in Luz del Sur, as well as an electric construction infrastructure company to a Chinese power company for nearly $3.6 billion. Luz del Sur is a Peruvian utility company with 800,000 customers in Lima, and is responsible for 30% of Peru's electricity distribution market. Sempra is also expected to sell all its Chilean holdings to a Chinese energy company. Elsewhere in South America will require a bit more digging. I'm sure I can find many more instances of China spreading its influence in Latin America, and as I mentioned before, strained relations between the U.S. and China could easily force other South American countries into a choice of who to really stand behind. I mean, the story will continue. But on the non-China influence front, uh, just kind of a update here, I, you know, I've been trumpeting the lies of destiny. Guiana offshore project the last few podcasts and how it would achieve 120,000 barrels per day this month even in the face of low oil prices. Again, this FPSO is in the Stabroek block. Production there was supposed to achieve 750,000 barrels per day over the next few years. Well, there's been a technical problem at the Liza Destiny. Production has dropped to about 27,000 uh, 27, barrels per day. Supposedly it's been addressed, but I don't know for a fact that, that is true. And so it goes. So, Jim, what do we got for next week?
1: So, Corey and I have highlighted some of what's for sale, as well as some of the details about the relationships between Chinese companies and the companies in each of the countries in the Americas. As we have heard, some of these relationships were born out of the Belt and Road Initiative, and some predate the initiative. Either way, one thing is certain. China has and will be a large influence player, influential player in the oil industry in the Western Hemisphere for a long time to come. So next week, Corey and I will look at the new projects of pipes, production and ports in the Americas.
0: All right. Three Ps. Thanks, Jim. All right. Jim and I will be joining David Fife, Argus Media's chief economist, for a panel discussion webinar about OPEC Plus on June 30th, 30th of this month. Um, Please look out for that webinar registration on Argus or Refinitiv's websites. Reach out and we'll send you a link or or visit Jim or my LinkedIn and you'll see it posted later today or tomorrow. For now, thanks and have a great week.